Welcome back to the CIO Show. I'm David Binning, Associate Editor of CIO. In this episode, we're talking about quantum computing. Well, our guests will be talking anyway. I'll certainly be doing a lot of listening as we try to get somewhere close to understanding the fundamentals of the technology. Where is quantum computing today? What have been the recent advances and what are the key hurdles? And of course, what might the technology mean for all of us, especially businesses and the enterprise? Our first guest is Associate Professor Nicholas Menicucci from RMIT. And Nicholas's research expertise includes theoretical quantum computation, quantum optics, and relative, relativistic quantum information. His interests include both quantum technology and fundamental physics. And he's published more than 35 papers on these topics. Nicholas, welcome to the CIO Show. Thank you, David. Glad to be here. Now, you are without a doubt, um, you know, one of the leading figures in this in this mysterious uh, area of, of quantum computing. Tell me what you've been working on lately. Well, my research focuses on uh, designing quantum computers made out of laser light. Right. So there are a number of ways to do this. And uh, I've been working on designs that, that use optical components for quantum computing for uh, about years now. Right. And what does that exactly mean? Well, it, it means, okay, so quantum computers are not just fast computers. Mm. They're not just regular computers that go faster. Yeah. They actually harness the, the non-intuitive properties of quantum physics. That's the weirdness of quantum physics that yeah. you've probably heard about in, in I, popular science to do things that ordinary computers just can't do. They yeah. use processes that are not available to ordinary computers yeah. and in so doing you there's certain problems that you can do more quickly mm. so I, I think that i think that point about utilizing weirdness is where a lot of people kind of get lost so mm-hmm. I guess a lot of people get lost right at the beginning of this conversation of about, about, about quantum computing maybe maybe let's just have a, a sort of you know for dummies explanation about what is a quantum computer and how does it work Absolutely. So, so this is this is a very good question. And to be perfectly honest, I see anyone I got really. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of people, a lot of people try to answer this question, and I've tried over the years, and, and the answer that I give has has evolved uh, with um, with my understanding. I'm sure it has. And yeah. and I think I think just the way we talk about it in the community has evolved. So, for instance, if you go back all the way about a century ago, um, there's the, the discussion of Schrodinger's cat, where yes. you put a cat in a box and there's a, uh, there's a poison in a box whose whose release or not it's, it's quite a vile experiment, but whose release or not is is determined by whether yes. a particular atom yeah. decays, you know, or not. Yes. And so th- this is said that the that the cat is both dead and alive yes. at the same time. Yeah. But that's really a misnomer. It's 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 not quite right. And th- there's there's a number of reasons why it's not quite right, but I'm not going to go into them. What I will tell you is that the technical term for that is a superposition, a quantum superposition. Mm-hmm. And a quantum superposition just, just can't really be described accurately using everyday language. Um, a better description is that a quantum particle in superposition of, let's say, two locations, you know, sometimes you hear two places at once, it means that, one, there is some chance that a measurement will reveal it to be either at the first place or the second. Yeah. And two, Different alternatives, and this is the key, different alternatives within the superposition can, over time, interfere like waves do. Right. So sometimes these alternatives combine and get stronger, and sometimes they cancel out. And then stronger mm-hmm. alternatives are more likely to show up in the experiment. And so this feature of strengthening some alternatives 
and cancelling others doesn't happen with everyday objects, which is why it's hard to talk about it intuitively. Right. And, okay. And so you might be wondering how this relates to quantum computers. Well, I am. Which I can, <laughs> yeah. I just think everybody <laughs> Doing is. both sides. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that's yeah. the natural question. Yeah. So, okay. So I've, I've, I've said it's kind of, you know, quantum superposition is, is a little bit, it's a little bit strange. It's a little bit weird. Okay, well, sometimes it's said that quantum computers perform all computations at once. And that, too, is inaccurate. And it, it, it's really quite misleading because if you had a device mm. that could just do everything at once, then you would have a tremendous amount of data and, and insanely powerful devices. Yeah. And a quantum computer isn't really that powerful. Right. So that's a little bit misleading, but I can tell you how a computer isn't really that powerful. Okay. Now we're getting somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) What I mean by that, just write that down. It it is. (laughs) Now you're going to get me in trouble. It isn't, it isn't as powerful as simply doing everything at one time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still more powerful than an ordinary computer. So let me tell you how. So superpositions are more subtle than just both at once. So that's what I mentioned earlier. So similarly, quantum, quantum computing is more subtle than just all computations at once. Yeah. And one way to think about it is like this. A quantum computer creates a superposition, as we discussed, of lots of different possible solutions to a problem. That's the first step. And then, very importantly, the second step, it manipulates that superposition so that wrong solutions cancel out and right ones are strengthened, right. making the right answer much more, more likely to appear when you measure it. Right. And so this isn't as fast as just doing all the computations at once because you have to do the second step. Yep. But for some types of problems, for some specific types of problems, these two steps together can be done more quickly than any method of solving the original problem with an ordinary computer. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's greater variability in output, right? Uh, what do you mean? So there's more possibilities. Well, actually, it's it's it's... What you try to do with a quantum computer is is you actually try to to reduce the possibility. You, you, you say, you, you put it in what's called a superposition, but then you have to manipulate that superposition so that only the right answer becomes likely to come out when you actually measure it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's essentially whittling away the, the, the wrong solution. You know, how, how do I describe it? You know, you're chipping away the wrong solution so that only the right ones remain. Mm-hmm. And you can do that with quantum quantum hardware in ways that you can't do with regular old computers. Right. Okay. Now I understand that you are heavily involved with the center of excellence for quantum computation and communication technology, CQC2T. Tell me, tell me about what, what's going on over there at the moment. And this, this is based at university. This, I mean, that, that entity is, Based at the University of of, um, of New South Wales, is it is it not? And, and well, that that ent- by Professor Michelle Simmons, is that right? Yes. So, yeah. so the lead node of CQC2T yeah. is uh, the University of New South Wales. Yes. Um, but the the way that centres of excellence work, so that that's 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 what it is. It's an Australian Research Council funded centre of excellence. Yeah. And so, what that is is it's it's a government grant. Um, it's 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 around. Thirty to thirty-five million dollars over seven years, uh-huh. and it's distributed to multiple universities around Australia. Yeah, so it's not just UNSW. Um, there's 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 a, many different universities that, that have this funding, and yeah. RMIT is one of them. Yeah. And then we also have international partners overseas and some uh, domestic 
uh, partners as well uh, that we collaborate with. And so it, it, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, there's a head, a head note that does the administration and, um, and, and Michelle Simmons uh, is a professor at UNSW and um, former Australian of the Year. And, uh, and she heads the, the Center of Excellence. So we work with uh, mainly, we're developing theory and experiment primarily focused on two different platforms, possible platforms for quantum computing. One is uh, silicon-based. And so with this platform, you take individual atoms of, of a different element, phosphorus. Right. You take the single atoms and then you stick them on the surface of a silicon wafer or you embed them inside. Well, you do a little bit of both. Yeah, you embed now, that, them now this, this sounds a bit easier, yeah. easier said than done. <laughs> it is. It definitely is. And, the, and in <laughs> fact, a large portion of the research is how do you get the atoms where you want them? Right, yeah. And there's different ways of doing that. Now, well, I'm not well, an expert well, in that well, particular that's been an issue area. since Isaac Newton, really, isn't it? I mean, right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because manipulating things that small is very hard. Like, I, like, yes, yeah. I like to say that we have fat fingers. Yeah. You know, yeah. compared to atomic sizes, it's very hard to manipulate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the just other, a whole bunch of Homer Simpsons it, just trying to do stuff. That's right, atoms. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but the other, the other platform that we use is optics, and that's the yeah. one that I'm more familiar with. And right. so I do the theory for that, and there's experimentalists work on this as well okay now is this um i'm gonna ask all the you know really dumb questions when you're Go talking about it. when you're talking about putting atoms on silicon and is is that a, is that a base is that a base level or, or type of componentry in quantum computing or is that a subset or is all, is all quantum computing about putting atoms on silicon no there's okay yeah, so right. this that's a really good question um all right when you think, let me answer by analogy. Mm. So when you think about information, like regular old information in a digital form, mm. you can have information encoded on a hard drive mm. and there'll be magnetic domains on a, on a disk. You can have information encoded in your computer memory and that's different. That's, that's electric charges. Mm. Um, you can have information encoded in written numbers on a page. Mm-hmm. And so they're all different ways that we encode information. Right. Well, quantum information is similar mm-hmm. in that there are many different in, different ways to encode it. Right. So whereas ordinary information is made up of ones and zeros, quantum information is made up of objects that could be in a state that we call zero, in a state that we call one, mm-hmm. and in a superposition of those two. And they're atomic, and so the they're phys- atom- but they're atomic objects. Yeah, but never Sometimes. Okay. They're usually quite small. Yeah. So this is what I'm getting at. So, so one way that we encode zeros and ones is on the – you put a phosphorus atom in, in silicon and you have an electron whose orientation you can control. And, and, and because of quantum properties, electrons, when you measure them, either have a, have a spin, which we call their orientation, yeah. the way they're spinning, either up or down. Yeah. And there's also the nucleus of, of the atom that has a spin. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a quantum bit. But there are different types of quantum bits. You can also make them out of, out of photons, so, which are um, particles of light, and you can make them out of superconducting circuits. So this is what uh, Google and IBM and uh, Rigetti and, and, and others have, have done. And so the, the big result last year was uh, uh, called uh, quantum supremacy, uh, which shows that Google developed a chip made out of superconducting circuits yes. that was able to do some particular problem faster than any ordinary com- computer could do it. That's right. But I, like, I understand yeah. that they got some criticism in particular from IBM, surprise, surprise, that that was yeah. a, pro- a problem that they, that they created. 
Yeah, well, it, it, it absolutely is. So yeah. that is a valid criticism. And, and the, the, I don't know if I would say consensus, but I think, I think probably the, the, the loose consensus from the community was that this was definitely a scientific breakthrough yeah. more than it was a technological breakthrough. But it was a critical scientific breakthrough. It was. And what I mean, yeah. and what I mean so, by so that it is was, it was much more yeah, than just a, some sort of contrivance. It yeah. was yeah. because it, from a technological standpoint, <clears throat> it was just an algorithm that they had contrived, like you said, based on what the chip can do. Mm. But, but from a scientific standpoint, it was really important to show that it's possible to design a device that does a thing, no matter how pointless or contrived, yeah. that, that, is, that, that, that would be really, really hard for an ordinary computer to do in a reasonable amount of time, or as IBM showed, in a reasonable amount of space. Yeah. Like you yeah. could do it in a reasonable amount of time, but you'd require just gigantic storage yeah. that's yeah. completely impractical. Well, it's, so that's useful. Yeah, what's kind of exciting that, that um, you've got you know, two of the biggest, well, IBM used to be one of the biggest tech companies in the world, still a very formidable one, but say Google, both those two formidable technology companies having made significant breakthroughs. What does that tell us in terms of um, when we might see um, you know, commercial deployment of, of quantum machines in business in the enterprise environment? Okay, so there's a couple ways to answer this. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I can answer your question directly, but well, I'll you're, also you're a, you're a back on physicist. a physicist. You, you probably answer most questions like that, don't you? There's several <laughs> ways to answer yeah. that. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pass the salt. Um, pass so, the salt. Well, you know. <laughs> you know, I, I would actually say that it's, it's more than I'm because I'm an educator. I have to. I have to think about like what what is the person thinking behind, when they're asking that question. Right, right, right. <laughs> and and I think you you probably want to know when we'll actually have one. And the answer to that is, I, I mean, we don't really know. Um, there's there's certainly a race that, that's on the the typical the typical numbers that are quoted for for a quantum computer to do something useful are between five and twenty years, depending on what you want it to do. Well, that's a so lot sooner than I would have I thought you were going to say, actually. Well, that's I mean. So before we're dead, before I think we're dead. <laughs> it's quite, I think it's likely that we'll <laughs> see something useful before we're dead. Now, whether it's a whether it's a killer app or not, or whether yeah. it really does have major security implications for the internet and. And, and the way that we do our, our, our commerce, the digital commerce these days, I don't know, but it's possible. And so that was the second way that I would answer the question, which is what are the implications now for what might happen on a two-decade timescale? And those are quite significant. Yeah, yeah. So like, like um, uh, for instance, if you look at the protocol for international bank transfers, the SWIFT protocol, um, if you want to design a protocol like that, you want it to be durable. You don't want to have to redesign it yeah. every five years. No. You want it to last for 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 several decades so yeah. that banks can can do this. It's a major it's a major deal to have to overhaul that. Yeah. And so we need to think about the cryptography that goes into international bank transfers if we want the protocol to last for the next twenty years. Right. Okay. So this this is the kind of thing we have to think about, and governments. So you, sure. you could envisage going into going into JB Hi-Fi or or some such in in ten years time and, and buying some product and it says quantum computer <laughs> quantum computer ready. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, for, for I the mean, upgrade, yeah, you know? <laughs> that's right. Um, or even so, your TV so the, could be quantum computing ready. You know, this is this is you, you're spot on actually because the um, the U.S. National Institute of Standards and Technology or NIST mm. they're actively working on developing and eventually standardizing 
uh, what's known as post-clonal cryptography. So these are cryptographic protocols that cannot be broken by a quantum computer. Right. And there are ways to do that. Yeah. Um, quantum computers are not just generally speedy. I mean, we started with that when, yeah. I, when I mentioned this. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just general speed. It's, it's, you, you ha- it, it, there are particular types of problems that quantum computers can help with. Yeah. And one of them just happens to be breaking most of the major encryp- encryption that's used, for instance, on internet, on the internet. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But, but, if, but, but there if are a, ways if a to Because I've, I've read some of the literature that, that, you know, quantum computers are capable of solving problems that, you know, the world's supercomputers would take 10, you know, I've read, you know, take 10,000 years to solve. Yeah. So, um, you know, depending on how, depending on your definition of speed, that's fast, right? <laughs> that, that is fast. And then, well, that's what the Google device did. That's yeah, what the Google right. Sycamore chip did. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Okay. And so financial services, um, yeah, definitely. A lot of people talk about the potential for quantum computing in, in healthcare, in drug research. Yeah. I think that's a very exciting area. What, do you, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, good, good. also a good question. So, so the, one of the main – okay, let me answer it this way. Mm. When you talk about security, you're talking about data, uh, information security, I should say. When you're talking about data, I'll get to your question in just a second. Uh, we're talking about data, but there's another type of problem that quantum computers are good at, which is which is simulating other quantum systems. So yes. if you think about the way yes. that drugs behave, and you yes. think about the way that materials behave, and yep. you think about you know, if you want to design a new material um, for well, it doesn't really matter what purpose, um, but but whatever you want to design, yes. you want to know how it behaves, and yes. you want to know how it behaves in situ. So mm-hmm. uh, that's a complicated molecular dynamics problem but and, and we have tools to solve them mm. but they're kind of slow and, and they're based on some approximation if you had a quantum computer you could do a more robust simulation of that those it, its behavior at a sub-molecular level yeah. using a quantum computer and and in some ways it's kind of funny because it, in some ways it's, it's, it's like simulating like I mean we have a quantum thing that we have that we can manipulate on that level, simulating another quantum thing that we have t- more trouble manipulating directly. Yeah. But because the, the the quantum computer itself is harnessing quantum physics, as opposed to regular old computing data with ones and zeros, it's hard harnessing quantum bits. Yeah. It is more able to. It, it, it's like it's closer to the thing that's actually simulating, but we have control over it. Well, that's, that's, that's what I was going to say, that, 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 that when you, well, what you're talking about with, with t- in terms of the human body, we're talking about genes or proteins or enzymes. Yes. Um, we are, in effect, talking about tiny things that behave in weird ways. That's right. Which is what, now that I'm understanding more about, now that I'm becoming an expert in quantum computing, now that's that right. I, I kind of understand what you, how you've described it, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that's right. So, so the, the, the way that, that atoms and molecules behave yeah. is somewhat simulable by our ordinary computers, and we, we've, we've gone a long way with that. But we still need, obviously, we still need, need trials and, and experiments. Yeah. But the hope is that quantum computers will be able to get us a little bit further along with our simulation, so we have a better idea of how these materials and, and pharmaceuticals behave mm. before we do experiments. And so what's, what's next for you in research, research-wise? What's, what's, what's 2021 looking like in your um, quantum computing uh, Outlook calendar. 
So yeah, really. So in in my area of quantum computing, I I work in in quantum computing with light. Yeah. Uh, primarily, primarily, not yeah. exclusively, but yeah. um, in in that area, the, the the main challenges are are similar to what they are in basically every other area, yeah. which is how do you handle how do you handle what we call noise, or how do you handle um, errors? And this is this is because quantum information is is very fragile in a yeah. sense that it 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 because it is. Um, it's hard to describe, but but this superposition that I described, where you have these these um, different these these different possibilities that can strengthen each other or cancel out, and that feature superposition and a related feature called entanglement, which I won't yeah. get into, but yeah. uh, those features are quite fragile. Mm. And so, if there's anything, if there's an atom that comes along and and just touches your system, it can screw up the whole thing. So, in the case of of optics. If there is, uh, if you're sending light through a fiber, it, there's a tiny, tiny bit of loss in the fiber, mm. always, and usually this doesn't matter for ordinary communication and ordinary quantum, an ordinary classical information processing. But for quantum, it, it, it can be a killer, and so dealing with that is very important. There are ways to deal with it, and it, it's not a showstopper. But how to deal with that? What we call noise or errors or um, loss. Um, the, the technical term is decoherence. Mm -hmm. um, all of those those things, they're all basically the same thing, more yeah. or less. Yeah. Dealing with them and protecting the quantum information and allowing you to do the computation anyway in spite of those challenges is is a very hard problem, and that's where I'll be focusing my effort over the next year. Well, that sounds fascinating. It's been a fascinating conversation indeed. Associate Professor Nicholas Minicucci, thanks so much for uh, joining us on the show. We look forward to having you back soon. Thank you, David. look forward to it. Cheers. We enable any organization to use any technology. We help all companies become technology companies, protecting the identity of both workforces and customers, connecting the right people to the right technology at the right time. Okta, one trusted platform to secure every identity in your organization. So, as we just heard there from Associate Professor Minicucci, uh, quantum systems are inherently complex and unstable and often unpredictable, and therefore um, it's a real challenge. Um, you know, getting rid of noise or errors or decoherence, depending on the, on the terminology that you use. And joining us now is Dr. Ben Brown, who's a computing, quantum computing researcher at the University of Sydney. He trained at the Imperial College in London did his postdoctorate at the Niels Bohr Institute in Copenhagen before coming to Sydney University on a scholarship. Ben, welcome to the CIO Show. Hi. So I understand that this area that I've just been, we were just speaking with um, with Nick about at the end of, of our interview about errors and noise and decoherence. This is is your special area, right? And I understand it's 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 super critical if these quantum systems are going to going to be really workable, and especially if they're if we're ever going to see them. Um, you know, as as reliable um, pieces of technology in businesses and the enterprise, which of course might be a fair way off, but it's it's pretty important work that you're doing. Tell me a bit more about it. Yeah, that's right. Um, my my research is all about how we take these noisy little uh, quantum systems um, and put them together. Well, we, 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 we the goal is to build a, a quantum computer that yeah. uh, solves an important problem and it has to solve it reliably. And uh, well, the the pieces 
that we can make in the lab, they're not reliable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what, what we need to do is find a way to um, put them together uh, so that we can figure out when when they go wrong and, yeah. and fix them and account for them. And that the way to do that isn't obvious at all. Yeah. It's um, we're, we're we're still at, like we're still really um, just coming up with theoretical ideas and blueprints for things that we can build in the lab. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, but you know, uh, the commercial uh, world is really steaming ahead with this uh, yeah. right now, and that's very exciting. And so it is. <laughs> we're, we're doing our best to help that out. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, I mean, I I and no doubt most of our listeners um, would take take their hats off to you. To anybody not not working in this area, it's it seems quite um quite counterintuitive. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I hope we can control them a little bit. <laughs> We've got to still try and control them well enough. Mm. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, that's right. I mean, the a, a big reason to build a quantum computer is to to try and understand the, the quantum quantum effects in nature, mm. and if we understand this, so we're just building this machine just to see what it does. Yeah. Which is kind of and it seems quite strange to me, yeah. Yeah. And are there any are there any particular industries that, that you're sort of focused on in, you know, with respect to your specific work around around coherence and, and error correction and presumably, you know, if we if we're gonna contemplate quantum computing in, in in really critical industries like, you know, medical research, drug discovery, healthcare, um, you know, that would seem to be especially important. Yeah, well, I, I mean, really, when we can build one of these machines, um, we, we could really help all of those industries that, that you named. Um, energy as well, I think that's an exciting one. Uh, like, for example, mm. you, you can imagine a, a quantum computer might be, um, well, I, there are things in nature that can, you know, work, have better solar cells. I'm looking out my window right now at a bunch of green plants, and they're very good at uh, turning sunlight into, into energy. Yeah. Um, if we can understand all the chemical processes that are making that work, um, then we might be able to build, you know, if we can understand that, we might be able to use that same science in, in solar cells and, and, you know, it'll be a big boon to the energy industry. Uh, you know, it's obviously very, <laughs> very important for the climate to find uh, cleaner energy as well. So uh, that, that's very exciting to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, but right now uh, we, re- we really just have to get all these machines off the ground. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard. So right now, where, where we are is people, you know, uh, Google are doing exciting things and IBM and some other companies are, are kind of getting in there. Yeah. yeah well, and, and we're, they're really just, they have, you know, a handful of qubits. And they're trying to do interesting things with those, but they're, they're not error-corrected qubits yet. Right. Um, and that, that's going to come, there's going to be a huge leap. It's going to be very... <laughs> Uh, there's a huge gap we have to get over uh, before building error correction because you need like if some of these pieces are going to go wrong um, the error corrected quantum computers we imagine are massive we're going to need far far more qubits and some you know some new ideas on how to really make this error corrected quantum computer and so really all of my work is just trying to make that machine go in the first place and then (laughs) when it's going then we can think a bit more about what we can do with it yeah um now, um, now, Nick talked about the the Center for Excellence for Quantum, Quantum Computation and Communication Technology, the CQC2T, which he's involved with, and a lot of people are. And, but you're you're also involved with with another center of excellence. This is the Engineered Quantum Systems or Equus. Tell me a bit about that. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, they they have a conference going on right now. I've, I'm taking a little break from the conference. Oh, well, we to, appreciate to that. Speak with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, that's, no problem. Uh, no, that's been going on. We've we've been in. Well, it's the first one we've done uh, in in person uh, since since uh, since the lockdown. Um, yeah, no, Equus is a is a engineer quantum system center for excellence. is an Australia wide initiative uh, supported by the. ARC, the Australian Research Research Council, yep. and yeah, it, it, it includes researchers doing all kinds of things uh, like quantum sensing and quantum devices. Uh, yeah, the delicate quantum measurements. Um, here at Sydney, we're very interested in quantum computing and you know the work I do, and among other things. Yeah. Um, there, there's a big effort in uh, in the University of Queensland, um, and others. I, I haven't mentioned them all. But uh, I'm not going to try because I'm sure I'll forget somebody if I do. <laughs> uh, so tell tell me tell me in a little bit more detail about this decoherence work that you're involved in. How does it? You know, how does it, what 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 are you practically sort of working on? Yeah, well, um, so the way, uh, well, how how do we talk about that? So that we we really want to control and harness a quantum system and that's really like nothing else we can imagine in you know our day-to-day lives yeah. uh these quantum systems they they can they, they have all these wave-like properties they uh they can be in two places at once they can entangle uh, and they they share these strange correlations with one another where that's what entanglement means uh and and we're exploiting all of those things we're trying to exploit those things to build a, a quantum computer um that's that's the goal um yeah. But they're just so hard to control. All of these quantum phenomena are so hard to control, um, and that's because uh, you know the the parts of the universe where we see these things are very small and very cold, and um, and we can't we just can't get things that cold. Um, you, you need a very cold fridge. Uh, we, we, well, you need an absolute zero temperature fridge. Uh, we can't quite get it that cold. We get it down to millikelvin. Um, uh, we, yeah, and so they're they're pretty good qubits, but they're not perfect. <laughs> um, so what what we imagine doing, like what quantum error correction is, is uh, taking all these little bit noisy quantum systems that, uh, and making them work together to make one very good quality uh, quantum system uh, that we can tr- we can control very well and uh, does all the things we want it to do. Uh, and, and then when we have that one very good quantum system, we're gonna uh, put lots of them together and build a build a quantum computer that's going to solve all these interesting problems. Yeah, sure. And how? I mean, how old is this particular subset of quantum computing? This field that you're in is it is it relatively relatively new? Or has this always been a concern? From oh uh, no, it's been there. Yeah, it's been there nearly since the beginning. From the beginning. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, one, 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 this is one of the big problems people were worried about. With uh, that was kind of a silly question. That was kind of a silly but, question, but it's not the first one I've asked in this show. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, it, it, it's it's essential, really. Um, I mean, they had the same. It, what people were worried about, like quantum states, they can do all these strange things, um, and just to control them very well. So, I mean, like the original proposals, I don't know if you've heard of uh, a Babbage machine, which yeah. is uh, like a very old proposal for a classical computer, but sort of ran on all these little wheels and yeah. cogs. Yeah. And uh, if they were engineered just a tiny bit wrong, like if the, the circumference of one of those wheels was just a little bit off, then the computation would go all wrong. And, and like one of the key things to make 
computing really worked was uh, digitizing everything. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and, and so we needed all these little switches and transistors. And well, before that, they were um, the vacuum tubes. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's right. And, and so by digitizing everything, it's in effect error corrected. Um, and that's really what we're trying to figure out how to do with, uh, well, I mean, we, we, we have ways of doing it. We understand how to do that. Um, but we're, we're really trying to digitize our quantum systems, uh, so that we can, um, we can use them for like error corrected, uh, quantum computing as well. Um, otherwise, yeah, we'll never get these things off the ground. Now that, that discovery came, uh, in the mid nineties mm-hmm. that we could, we could do quantum computing this way. And yeah, is a you know, is a massive breakthrough. Like if we didn't have that result, um, yeah, <laughs> we we probably wouldn't have got as far as we what, have with. What was that? Uh, what, explain to me again what that breakthrough was. Sorry. Uh, um, well, uh, I, I guess we we call it the threshold theorem. Right. Um. <laughs> um so what? Yeah. As I said, you you imagine hundreds and hundreds, I mean, how many gigabytes does your 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 computer got? Right. That, that's billions and billions of bits and they're all working together. Yeah. Um, and likewise, our quantum computer will be made out of, well, you know, in, in, in the far future, like millions and millions of uh, qubits, yeah. little quantum bits of a quantum computer. And they're all just going to, they're all going to just collect a little bit of noise and uh, they're, they're all going to do it a bit together and then what comes out at the end isn't going to be the right solution. So what we have is the, the, what we call the, the, the threshold theorem, mm. um, which says that um, we can make the, the quantum computer a bit bigger. We can add some uh, kind of redundancy to it, if you like. Um, we add some extra pieces to that quantum computer uh, to, to spot the errors. Uh, we, well, we call them, uh, 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 maybe I can be a bit more specific. Uh, we, we, we make these things called quantum error correcting codes, yeah. um, which. Uh, yeah, they, they, they take, a, you know, a bunch of qubits and all collectively work together to make one very good quality qubit. And we can make these error correcting codes bigger and bigger and bigger. And the, the, the quality of that qubit that it's protecting is going to get better and better and better. Right. And the, the, the whole idea is by making these error correcting codes, you know, big enough, you're, you can guarantee that your, your computation is going to come out correct on the other side. It's almost, it's, almost, yeah. it's almost sounds like a metaphor for T-cells or something in the biological world. Uh, maybe, as in yeah. You're trying, as in you're, you're creating these little elements to protect the qubit. Yeah, that's right. Sort of that's right. They, they, they rally, they rally around it and protect it. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. no, that's exactly it. Well, I mean, we do. Hey, I we do, do I, I say, mean, did I say something smart? Uh, well, maybe I don't know much about T-cells. Maybe you can tell me something about that. But we, yeah, no, I, I tell you, we do it all the time. We do error correction all the time. Um, like you just copy your message. Um, so for example, if you order, you go to a restaurant, right? And, uh, you, you, you make your order you say, have some pizza and the waiter then says, did you just say pizza? And you say, yeah. And they just double checked it, right? You've copied the message twice. You see what I mean? I do. And these are what, this is what quantum error correcting codes are doing. You have you, you get lots of qubits, and they're all working together to agree on uh, what their one protected qubit is supposed to be doing. You're talking and, about software operating in quantum systems, right? Digital software operating in quantum systems. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, no, I mean, these are going to be hardware components yeah, of, yeah, of yeah. your uh, 
your quantum computer. Yeah, yeah that's right. Like your like your hard disk, your hard disk uh, that's just storing. Yeah. Um, you you know your classical bits on your laptop. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. I'm I'm talking about the the, the quantum bits. Like, where are we going to keep the quantum bits in the quantum computer? And we're going to need quantum error correcting codes to do that. Yeah. Um, to, to protect that quantum bit. So what's um what what's up for for next year? What do you you know, what are you, what are you going to be working on um, specifically? Are there any sort of specific projects you could shed some light on that, you, that you're kind of going to be getting into next year? Yeah, well, we have a lot of exciting things uh, going on. I, I, I was, um, we've, uh, well, we're very excited about a, a, a paper we just put out, um, uh-huh. which has got a lot of attention. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a quantum error correcting code that's specifically well designed for uh, some qubits that they're building in Yale. Right. And so uh, there, there's a lot of interest from, uh, yeah, Yale University to take our idea and uh, really build it in the lab. Uh, and, and it's not only institutions as well, it's um, companies. Like, uh, it's sort of taught by Amazon, and they're also very interested in the same thing. They're, they've recently just got into the, the quantum computing game. And, and um, so they've joined, they've joined Google and Google and IBM, so and Microsoft right. is involved and as well. So yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, no, there's certainly they're, they're, they have. Well, I think it's not quite clear what they're planning. But one of, one of the things they suggested was uh, the the same kind of qubits that we'll probably want the, the error correcting codes we're making here in Sydney too. Yeah. Uh, so that's exciting. Um, there, that's right. And there does seem to be a fair bit of international attention um, around the quantum computing work in Australia. What, why is that? Do you think? Yeah, well, Australia, they invested hard and they invested early yeah. in, in quantum computing. Yeah, there are lots and lots of professors around the world now who um, got their PhDs and were working as postdocs and early researchers when the field was was really taking off. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah we, like one of the, uh, we, we saw a talk yesterday at the, the Equus conference uh, by Jared Melbourne. He's, he's uh, you know, really one of the grandfathers of uh of our field, yes, um, yeah, and he's 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 over there at UQ. Uh, uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, Australia, Australia was really um, pioneering at the beginning. It, well, just as the field was taken off in the, the early two thousands, I, I think. <laughs> I, was, I was still at school then, so I don't know exactly the date. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> some time ago. Yeah. Well, look, that's amazing, man. Well, thanks so much for um, for making time for us, and that's that's really interesting too get a better understanding about what decoherence and, and, and error correction is. And, and of course, it's it's um, extremely important if these quantum systems are going to be up and running and doing meaningful things and being trusted and, and taken seriously. Um, ben, look forward to having you back on the show again soon. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. Our next episode will be the second of our industry vertical series, this time around on government and the public sector have of course been giant strides made in the digital transformation of public services however with the immense size and complexity of projects it hasn't always gone to plan to say the very least we'll be talking to CIOs who've been at the coalface as well as analysts to get a clearer picture of how successfully Australian governments are digitising and how they might improve we hope you can join us